You're listening to Identity Revolution, a podcast from the consumer identity management experts at Infutor Data Solutions. In each episode, we invite industry leaders for data-driven discussions on all things marketing, analytics, and identity. Join us as we take a deep dive into industry trends, strategies, and the future of data technology. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of Identity Revolution. My name is Corey Davis, uh, and I lead the ad tech, martech, and media vertical here at Infutor Data Solutions. Very, very excited to welcome our guest today, Andy Rossmeisel. Andy is co-founder and CEO of Faraday. Andy, thank you very much for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Corey. Really appreciate the opportunity here today. Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to jump right in. I think just as a context point for the audience, obviously, I know the Faraday story a little bit, but I think if we could just kind of talk us through first your personal background and how you kind of got to starting Faraday and then also a little bit about, about what Faraday does. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's kind of a funny story. We actually got our start exclusively in the the residential solar industry, which sounds a little bit odd for those of you who are familiar with Faraday now. But my co-founders and I actually came from a previous company called Brighter Planet. We were doing basically large-scale environmental impact calculation for the enterprise, trying to essentially become the calculation layer for a carbon cap and trade system. You know, don't, don't have to go way off into the weeds there, but suffice to say that unfortunately that law did not get passed. And so we, we wanted to try to figure out a, a different way to help accelerate the, the transition to a clean energy economy and come at it from a different angle because the regulatory one was sure a bummer. And so we said, well, hey, I, I think the, the biggest lever we could pull here is with renewable energy specifically with solar. And, you know, we know a lot of these solar companies, let's help them grow faster and more efficiently using all this data experience that we have acquired over the years. And it became uh, clear fairly quickly that what we needed to do was predict which families out there wanted to throw solar panels on the roof. And, you know, at the time, this back in 2012, there was some solar uptake, but it was very, very much a needle in a haystack kind of proposition there were some incentives and there were certainly good uh, businesses out there, but the penetration was very low. And so we knew that we would have to use some powerful AI to go out and find those, those homeowners, you know, willing to put solar on the roof and and interested and excited about it. We got a million dollar grant to the department of energy and, and raised some money here in Vermont where we're based. And, you know, our goal was just to accelerate solar. And it turns out we learned very quickly that decisions like this one, uh, are very predictable. You can really anticipate what people are going to decide on a decision like this based on what we, you know, in Futura and, and us know about them. You know, a couple of years in, Corey, uh, obviously we became more like the Faraday we are today. We still do a little work in solar. We love that space. We'll always be you know, solar aficionados here at, at Faraday. But at this point, it's, it's just one part of our business. And we just really realized that the whole process of predicting consumer behavior and using that information to get closer to your customer and grow more effectively is a pretty widely applicable need out there for consumer brands. And since then, we've made uh, hundreds of billions of predictions for hundreds of consumer brands. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. And so I guess talk us through exactly when you say those predictions, I guess talk yeah. us through how it works across these brands that you're working with and yeah, the use case there. Yeah, sure. 
So, you know, the short answer is that we predict consumer behavior. Like I said, we make billions of predictions every day for hundreds of brands. Um, the longer answer is that AI is really just the newest and best way to solve problems that growing companies have faced for decades or, or longer. Things like knowing when to discount and who to discount or treating each customer like an individual of finding your next buyer, right? These are not new challenges. It's just that now in 2020 and going into 2021, it's fairly clear to practitioners in this space that prediction is the correct way to solve all of these problems at this point in time. And, you know, you can look, the biggest brands today are already doing this, right? McDonald's bought an AI company last year. $300 $300 million, and that's yep. just to personalize the menu for each individual customer. Apple, Walmart, Nike, they've all made similar acquisitions. And of course, the big one, Amazon out there, they've been an AI company really since they started just in a different costume. Yeah. And you know, our thing here at Faraday is that we believe that the world needs healthy competition. We need a diversity of brands. And we need them to thrive and and not just a a bunch of huge monopolies, as good or bad as some of them may be. And we just really don't think it's fair for these enormous companies to have a monopoly on on AI. Now, the good news with Faraday, I I think, is that, you know, you don't have to spend $300 million to use Faraday. You know, AI is really within reach. And, you know, we even have a Shopify out there. We just launched, Corey, that's free. So you can actually go out today as a consumer brand company on Shopify and and start getting all this stuff for free. You know, there are two other things I'd say about Faraday that I think are important. One is that we're really founded on ethics here. There is a right way and a wrong way to do AI. And, you know, we have technical safeguards against algorithmic prejudice. We always have refused and and always will refuse to ever scrape uh, data off the web, which was a very odd decision back in 2012. But it's one that we made for ethical reasons and we stick to. We also just have a policy here against never using cookies or device IDs. We never have and, and we won't do that. Again, an ethical decision we made, but you know, the world is changing and I think it's changing in this direction. It's not easy to make predictions ethically and it's something we always have to keep our eye on. The other thing about Faraday that you know those of us who, who use us, I think, appreciate is just that we include everything to make predictions. So every other piece of AI software out there is all about building pipelines, building models, feature engineering, cross-validation, all kinds of you know, arcane details. But not, everybody, not every company out there can have a huge team of data scientists to operate these platforms, right? So you know, we believe that brands care about the results of AI, not so much how it's made. Gotcha. Gotcha. Appreciate that. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. awesome. And you also mentioned before being based in Vermont. Which, which I think you're from there, which so that doesn't make it super <laughs> unique for you, but definitely thinking about tech businesses. And so, based in Vermont, I guess how many how many employees do you have? How many customers? If you can share that, yeah, sure, time? yeah. So there's 40 of us in Vermont, and yeah, you know, some people think it's an odd place. There's actually a, a really strong legacy of, of technology in, in Vermont. You know, IBM had a huge headquarters here for a long time. And, you know, IDX, huge healthcare tech company, dealer.com was auto dealership platform, got bought for a billion dollars a couple of years ago, based out of Vermont, hundreds of employees. So, you know, there's actually on a per capita basis, I would say one of the one of the highest technology worker counts in, in the country, but Vermont's highest per capita on, on a whole lot of things being 
small sure. state we are. But, you know, I think the biggest reason it's, it's good being in Vermont is, you know, there's just a shared set of values in the state. You know, you have to really choose to live here. Nobody's here by accident. And it goes back to what I was saying about ethics. You know, those kinds of things matter here in Vermont. And there are other places where folks have different viewpoints, and that's totally fair. But we just appreciate being here and we appreciate each other. And it really has become part of our company culture is just being Vermonters for sure. I'm actually not a Vermonter, though. I, I do I do have to admit I'm a Wisconsinite, born and bred, but Vermont's definitely my adoptive home. In, in terms of customers, you know, we, we work with um, customers in a lot of different ways, directly through partners, platforms. At this point, it's certainly well into the hundreds and you know, growing pretty fast every day. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Well done. Okay. So you mentioned sort of the, the privacy piece and the security piece around data and identity and yeah. cookies, things like that. So I guess, obviously for Infutor, we certainly see, you know, this, this constant change in consumer expectations around privacy, around identity. I guess, how does Faraday think about identity as it relates to sort of your application, your use case, and then how it relates to your customers. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's a great question. Them. Identity is crucial. I think there is a ever-increasing danger with the rise of, you know, e-commerce, especially during COVID here, of, you know, failing to see each of your customers as an individual. And more and more businesses these days have never had and may never again have the advantage of being able to stand in a store and watch your customer come through the door and chit chat and figure out what matters to them and guide them through a really positive brand experience. That's just not something that is possible for a lot of brands. So, you know, you have to, you really have to get to know your, get to know your customers. You know, there are a lot of ways of doing that. You know, one way that does seem to be fairly pervasive is to kind of look over their shoulder, you know, tracking cookies and things like that. And, you know, that that is certainly one way of getting to know people. But I think the other way is just to participate with them in the economy. And everybody is very upfront about their needs and wants as a consumer. And that data does get ethically captured by organizations like yours and permission is sought. And there's a very, very long history of participation in the marketplace serving both the buyer and the seller. And so, you know, we started our company in 2012, you know, we were like, oh, should we scrape or should we license? And, you know, I think 99% of tech startups back then would have, and in fact did choose to scrape data. And, you know, we feel that working with companies like Infutor, we have, we've been able to avoid a lot of those pitfalls and I think position ourselves much better because of it. Yeah. Well, thanks for the shout out. Appreciate that. So Andy, as you think about third-party data and, and CRM data as it relates to sort of the needs for hygiene around that data, yeah. you know, I think the old stat is around about 30% of CRM data is out of date within 12 months. So as you think about Faraday and how it applies to marketers, how do you help combat that data hygiene challenge? Yeah, good question, Corey. You know, it is a challenge for sure. I think that there are plenty of organizations out there that do help with the hygiene thing. It, it is not something that Faraday addresses directly. We kind of come at it from another angle where it's like, okay, yeah, 70% of your data is current. Let's make as much use of that as we can. Well, many organizations heard that years ago that they really had to get into the big data world and pay a bunch of money for a data warehouse. And they've been really effectively capturing data and putting into their CRM ever since. But I think some of them have been increasingly chagrined to not really discover the ROI from those efforts. You know, 
prediction is the ROI story for big data. Um, it's the reason we didn't know it at the time, many of us, but is the reason why we've been doing this for so long. And obviously, the, the better hygiene you have, the better your uh, predictions will be. So in that sense, I would say that we emphasize um, the need for, for data hygiene. And in fact, we make data hygiene valuable, right? It's, it's always been kind of one of those things that is at the bottom of everybody's list. Get to that next month. And that's fair because, you know, hygiene for hygiene's sake isn't really that valuable. Um, however, if you know that you're taking your data from under your mattress where you've kept it for years and you're putting it, you know, in an interest accruing account, which is what we like to think of, of predictions as providing, then suddenly it becomes really valuable. Hey, if we can clean up this remaining 30%, is that going to mean we're going to improve our ROI on this by 30%? Maybe. Yeah. So hygiene suddenly has an ROI, which it's never had. I'll also say, you know, on first-party data, it is really valuable. We see that it's especially valuable when you combine first-party data, like many brands have been accumulating, with consumer profile data, like you can um, get with Faraday or through uh, vendors like Infutor. On their own, each of those kinds of things is somewhat valuable, but together, it's like a one plus one equals three type of arrangement. You know, the, the caution is, and I think many brands who are considering, oh, you know, we already have our own first party data here. Let's just use that. Um, you really got to think through your activation strategy because you can certainly observe first party data collected. You can even try to train a predictive model on first party data, but you have to always be reminding yourself, okay, what is my... What's my deployment strategy here? And maybe we can predict something like churn or bleed conversion or something of that nature just by looking at things like you know email clicks or lack thereof. But what we found in our many years of doing this is that by the time that you're able to actually acquire those observed signals, it may be already too late for the outcome to have either happened or not happened. And really the beauty of working with a known identity graph like we have here at Faraday is that we have all this data up front on folks and we're able to build models on that data and make predictions that are always going to be relevant. We can predict churn before the customers even made their first purchase, right? So it's just a different way of thinking about it. And it's really something I urge our brands to think through before they decide their strategy. Gotcha. Awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, to transition a little bit here into the more broad I guess, MarTech and AdTech ecosystem. So yeah. certainly Infutor is in that space. Faraday is definitely in that space. You know, we all see the, the big landscape presentations that come out once a year with these you know, <laughs> seven, eight, 10,000 companies yeah. in there. I guess as a CEO, as a co-founder of, you know, small but growing uh, MarTech, AdTech business, I guess, what's your take on the on that ecosystem on that industry over the next say one to five years is it growing is it shrinking i don't know what's the prediction I would say there is a bit of a crisis right now and i think it really does stem from people waking up to the fact that over the last handful of years there's been an explosion in the martech and ad tech spaces but Frankly, much of that growth has come at the expense of things like privacy. And Silicon Valley always leads the way, and it's always pushing the envelope. And you know, I, I don't want to judge folks who have done this. I think there are a lot of smart people who have been very careful about this thing over the years. But you know, I think the society as a whole is is really starting to grapple with the extent to which 
the data that they create, you know, in private is being uh, used for some good reason and other not so good reasons, but that there needs to be a, a bigger conversation about that. We're not saying we can't do it, but we, I think we have to be a little bit more careful about how we do. And so when you look at the MarTech and AdTech stack, what percentage of those companies really rely on third-party tracking cookies, right? I mean, I think it's a massive percentage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think many of these folks will find the right way to do this and will pivot and they will get there. You know, we're a very innovative country and we come up with some pretty good ideas and good solutions to hard problems. And I think we'll continue to do that. But there's a reckoning certainly going to take place over the next year. I think we'll get through it. And I think that we'll get through it stronger. I think that once we recognize that privacy is an asset that every individual has and can feel free to monetize however they want, I think that we'll end up with a, with a much stronger, more sustainable MarTech and AdTech um, ecosystem, for sure. Got it. Got it. Okay. And then just thinking about looking at time here, I think maybe just the, the last question I'd have, and certainly probably a bigger transition for you. So marketing. So we both work with marketers. Yeah. I am not a full-time marketer. I don't think you are either. So I guess take off your CEO yeah. for a second and, and put on the, the chief marketing officer hat at any sort of larger, maybe considered purchase brand, automotive, travel, you know, real estate, any, any of that kind of stuff. Sure. What are you thinking about and where are you trying to spend your money? What are you cutting? You know, how are you trying to tell stories in the next, say, 12, 24 months to the average consumer? What's the marketing strategy look like? Well, going back to what we were just talking about, you know, first step, make sure on the right side of history here, you don't want to be one of those brands that was creepy. You want to be a brand that's a cool brand that people are happy to be associated with. We'll call that pod odds and just talk, you know, I think I'll spend more time talking about strategically what a focus should be. And it goes back to something I said early on, you know, number one thing I would do as a CMO these days is just making sure that every single day I know who my customer is. There is a tendency, especially in the digital world, to develop some very strong superstitions about your customer base and not just develop them, but also act on them. And in doing so, frankly, entrench them. Your superstitions can become reality if you decide that your customer is one person and you spend a bunch of money against that one person. I mean, you're going to self-fulfill your prophecy. Maybe that's the right move, but maybe it's not. You got to gather data. You got to put your superstitions aside for a second. Good businesses have a soul, but you know they also operate in the in the real world. For example, you may have a brand where you really think it would be a hit with college students, but maybe it ends up that thirty somethings like me are your core constituency, and you can choose to put your fingers in your ears and sponsor raves, or you can embrace reality and, and come after me. You know that said. There are times, and this is where it's an art, right? As a CMO, you have to put your finger on the scale. You know, for example, if you're trying to correct a past bias, right? Let's say you've, you've never marketed to a certain demographic segment. You're not going to have any customers in that demographic segment. They're not going to show up in your personas. And they're certainly not going to be found by a lookalike algorithm. So in that sense, you've already probably created several self-fulfilling prophecies at whatever brand this is. So sometimes you need to do something deliberately that you believe in as an experiment. You should still do that with data. You should really make sure you have a clear hypothesis that's falsifiable. So you run your test and you can cross your fingers if you want to, 
you really hope it works out, but you know, in the end, be ready for it to fail and, and people lose hold on those ideas. Love it. Love it. Okay. I think that is going to be the, the last question for today, other than, I guess, so where can people find more about, about you, find out more about Faraday? How do people get in touch? Yeah, uh, Faraday.io is the website. You can chat with somebody with the button on the homepage. But if you want to talk to me, I'm Andy at Faraday.io. I was looking forward to talking with folks. Awesome. Andy, thank you so much for taking the time and being a part of our, our podcast. Thanks for having me, Corey. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to Identity Revolution. For more data-driven discussion, subscribe to Identity Revolution on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And for more on how Infutor can improve your data strategy across your entire enterprise, visit infutor.com.